Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Uh, Leave a review on Podchaser. You can leave a review for separate episodes or for the show as a whole. Do both. Um, You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. But go to Podchaser. It's universal. Um... Yeah, so I I had time to think about this, like, since the last episode, and while the exuberance of not being forced to read about a rape or a suicide is still great, um, I have questions about the last episode, so even in a place where the murder mamas are talking about how they became the murder mamas, and initially I thought that, you know, murder was going to take them under his sleeve, or under his wing and teach them all the ways of um, being contract killers. But no, he didn't teach them anything. Instead, when he got taken to jail, it just so happened that the phone that he uh, used to get his, his business on kept ringing over and over again, even after people knew he had went to jail because they didn't know what he actually looked like. And it just so happened that his account was still open, that all of the um, contract killing money went to. And it just so happened that Anissa had access to all of the uh, account information. So really, they still haven't built anything for themselves. They have gotten something else from a man in all facets. Um, and we're able to continue on because they found other women who were on the same boat that they were in. Like that was fortuitous, wasn't it? That they just happened to find some women who were actually on a sting at the same time they were on the sting. But if this is how you're setting up how they all met, so be it. You know, I was hoping that they would be childhood friends or something, but nope, they met literally like a few years earlier. And it seemed like, well, a few years earlier than the actual story, the the present time that we're in for the story. And also showing that Robin and 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 um, Mia Moore, to some extent, started off with beef. To show why Robin would have walked away so easily at the end. OK, we're going to see where that goes. Chapter 13, Mia Moore. I woke up early the next day and maneuvered silently throughout the apartment. 
I didn't want to wake Anissa or the new tag-along bitches we had picked up the night before. I didn't know Robin, Aries, and Beatrice, but I was grateful that they were there. Things could have gone real bad for us last night, I thought as I shuddered at the thought of how close I had come to death. If it hadn't been for them, Anissa and I would both be taking dirt naps, despite the fact that I still didn't trust them. Respect them? Yes. Trust them? Hell no. I thought that my heart would be full of dread, but strangely, my conscience wasn't phased by what I had done the night before. It was like the higher my body count rose, the less it affected me. I was choosing to become a killer. I had made the decision to pick up where murder left off, all in the pursuit of the American dream, and there was no turning back. It's just business, I told myself as I made my way to my car. Uh, there's a rapper that I listened to uh, named E-40, and he's on a song with another rapper I listened to named Brother Lynchong called Situations. And in the song, E-40 talks about something like that as well, like how easy it gets over time to kill somebody. Um, he says, if you go as far as the blinking eye, motherfucker, you gonna die. Pressure, I apply. No lie. I just got finished doing 10. For what? For killing my best friend. And I'll murder again. If I'm forced, then I must. After the first time, the second time was a rush. What about the third time? The third time felt like sex. So we can see that as she progresses, she's going to get to a point where she's going to feel nothing but exuberance or being able to make her money. Also, what type of choppers did 40 use? Choppers, Uzis, Tex, you know, whatever one comes next. It's a great song. It's one of my favorites. Um, anyhow, my black skinny jeans looked as if they were painted on Why? I, every time we talk about the women, we got to talk about what they dressed in. It's like, uh, what are they called? Pinup dolls. Um, you know, the ones where you cut out the, the, uh, doll. It is a pinup doll. My black skinny jeans looked as if they were painted on and the white Mark Jacobs blouse revealed my cleavage and jewels. The white peep toe Prada heels I wore completed my outfit as I climbed into my car and peeled out of the parking lot. I didn't tell anyone where I was going, not even Anissa. I knew she'd hit the roof if I told her I was going to see murder, but I had to check on him. Plus, I thought he deserved a cut of the money we made last night. Nigga, put it on his books. I promised myself that I would keep money on his commissary and put the rest of his cut aside until he got out. I couldn't understand how it was so easy for Anissa to move on and just forget about all that murder had done for her. Because in the short year that I had known him, he would always be a part of me. I had feelings for him. If it wasn't for him, I would have been locked up. Instead, he took the heat, and I felt fucked up because I was just getting around to visiting him. My bone straight wrap and Chinese bangs ruffled as the wind whipped through my hair. I hoped I wasn't making the trip for nothing. I didn't even know if I was listed on his visitor's log, but it was a chance that I was willing to take. I hit a department store first and picked up items that I thought murder might need. A small care package that would hold him over for a while. Then taking the BQE towards Queens, I exited at Astoria Boulevard, then followed the city blocks until I hit Hazen Street. When I arrived at Rikers parking lot, 
I stepped out of the car with the box of personal items in my hand as I made my way to the bus I was traveling over the bridge to the facility. As soon as I stepped foot on the bus, I knew it was going to be a miserable trip. There were babies crying, ghetto baby mamas arguing and talking cash shit, and tired wives who had done this routine time and time again. I shook my head, knowing that I could never be one of the chicks waiting on the outside. I had done years of lockup on my own as a child. I wasn't trying to do five more waiting on murder or anybody else. It was then that I knew that I couldn't write out murder sentence with them. When a loved one is locked up, that time affects the inmate and everyone around him. As I looked in an old woman with a wedding band on her finger, I couldn't help but ask, Are you here to see your husband? My question caught her off guard, but she shook her head and answered, No, baby. I'm here for that knucklehead son of mine. He grew up watching me make this same trip to come and see his father, and now he's landed himself in the same predicament, behind the white man's walls. Like father, like son, I guess. The sadness in her eyes scared me, and I fidgeted uncomfortably in my seat as I noticed the lifelessness in the woman. She had no hope, no light in her eye. That'll never be me, I thought as uneasiness filled my stomach. As much as I cared for murder, I knew that after today I would not come back. The best I can do is letters and make sure his money's right, I thought. I knew it was selfish, but it was real. The truth of the matter was, murder was not my man, even though somewhere deep inside I wished that he had been. After practically being molested by the guards and storing my personal items in a locker, I was finally escorted into a waiting room. I sat at the small table, growing more nervous as each minute ticked by. My manicured hand tapped impatiently as butterflies filled my stomach. I was in the middle of a prison, but I felt as if I was going on a blind date. I rubbed my sweaty hands on my jeans, and then finally, murder came waltzing into view. His swagger was still so on point. Even in the jail hookup he had on, he possessed an aura of respect. I smiled as he came near me. Hey, murder, I greeted as I stood to hug him. He held me extra tight and extra close. My little mama, he whispered. Thanks for coming. I'm sorry it took me so long. It's been rough. I had to let things die down, you know. Murder nodded his head, then motioned for me to take a seat. I know, he answered. Where's your sister? His eyebrows dipped low when he mentioned Anissa. As if he already knew the answer to his own question. Um, she couldn't make it murder. She told me to tell you I was about to make an excuse on her behalf. But murder waved his hand in dismissal. Don't do that, Ma. You've never lied to me before. Don't start now because of your sister. I know Anissa. A nigga can't keep her when he's down. Only when he's at the top. I don't want to talk about her. He said with a hint of sadness in his voice. He touched my chin, making me smile. You're here. Let's talk about that. Why did you come? His question had me stuck. Why did I come? I asked myself. I looked him directly in the eye. The chemistry between our gauges was magnetic. I owe you, I said. That's it? He countered with a boyish charm. I was worried about you. Uh-huh. He responded, you sure that's it?
I hesitated before I continued, but I knew that I wasn't being honest with myself. I care about you, murder. It's a little bit deeper than that, little mama, but I'll play by your rules. I care about you too, ma. Always have, always will, he said as he grabbed my hand. My heart was beating out of my chest. I'm sorry. I feel like it's my fault you're in here. This ain't on you. These walls ain't shit to me. In five years, I'ma walk out the same motherfucker, he said as he kissed the inside of my wrist. Seeing him in good spirits felt good. The interaction between us felt so natural, so right. He was my nigga, first and foremost. Murder and I were friends. But the fact that my attraction to him was growing by the second had me thinking about waiting for him. Had me wanting to be there for him those long five years. Murder? Anissa will never understand this. She's my sister, and I can't pick you over her, no matter how much I'm feeling you, I told him. He nodded his head in understanding. I know, Mia Moore. I would never ask you to. I know the type of woman you are. You're loyal, and that's one of the reasons why I feel the way I do about you. Like I told you before, it's not meant to be for us, but it don't stop me from wanting you. In five years, I'ma look you up. Believe that, Ma. You're my little mama always. Life moves on, and I would never ask you to wait or to hurt your sister. I'ma come check for you when I'm free, though. Okay, so he's gonna show up somewhere in this book. I'm sure five years have passed since this story was being told. I smiled and pulled my hand away from murders. I have one more thing to tell you, I said. He was silent as he waited for me to continue. I answered your phone, I said. My words hit him like a ton of bricks, and his face collapsed into a mixture of sorrow and anger. I'm on that now. Every time, I'll have your paper put aside for you, and I'll keep your books on full in here. When you get out, you'll have money waiting on you. Murder put his face in his hands and shook his head from side to side. I didn't want that for you, Mia Moore. That's not for you. You deserve better than that. I stood to my feet and wiped the tears from my eyes. I don't think a better life is in the cards for me, I whispered. Murder stood and pulled me close, putting his hands in my back jean pockets as we hugged. He pulled a picture out of my pocket. What's this? he asked. I had meant to give it to him when I first arrived. It was a picture of us together on my birthday holding up bottles of champagne. He pulled me near on him one more time and whispered in my ear, Be careful. Never think twice about pulling the trigger. Turn your heart cold, Mia Moore. Oh my God. <sighs> think like a nigga, because acting like a bitch will get you killed. It's the only way you'll make it. Slump a nigga before he can slump you. No body, no weapon. No murder, I whispered, finishing his sentence. Our lips so close together that they touched when I spoke the words. He pulled back and looked me in the eye. You've already done your first job, he said in surprise. I nodded my head, stood on my tiptoes and kissed his cheek. Goodbye, murder. He held onto my hand as I walked away, until the distance finally separated us. 
Holler at me, Mia Moore. At least once a month to let me know you're okay, he yelled after me. I shook my head in agreement, then walked out of his life. When I returned to the apartment, the atmosphere was tense. Everyone was silent and staring at me in suspicion as soon as I set foot inside the door. Where the fuck have you been? Robin asked. I looked at her like she was crazy and bypassed her without responding as I went into my room. The silly bitch obviously didn't know about me. Because if she did, she would have known that I would smack fire from her ass for talking to me out the side of her neck. She followed behind me. Look, you're the one who said we should lay low and let the streets cool down before we get to spending money. Then when we wake up, you ghost, she said. Ooh, they put a comma in between waking up. Then when we wake up, you're ghost. <laughs> then when we wake up, you're ghost, she said. What are we supposed to think? I really don't give a damn what you think. I had to handle something, and that's all you need to know, I replied. The girls made their way into my room, and Anissa stood by the door. I could feel her staring at me. I knew she wanted to know where I had disappeared to so early in the morning, but I wasn't telling. Nobody needed to know. Where I went was my business. Fuck all them hoes. Well, I've been thinking, Beatrice stated as she sat on my bed and looked around the room. Y'all didn't even know about the money in the safe before we told you. So that means y'all were there for something else. We want in. Want in, Anissa repeated. Yeah, whatever y'all got going on, we want in. There's only two of y'all. Without us, things could have turned out different for y'all last night. I don't know exactly what y'all do, but I know this plush condo and that benzo you driving don't come cheap. We want in, Beatrice asserted. Anissa and I looked at each other with raised eyebrows. And as if on cue, the phone began to ring. Ring, ring. I was skeptical at first, but I knew that having more chicks on our team could be a good thing. Our chance of being caught slipping would decrease dramatically if we hooked up with Robin, Aries, and Beatrice. Ring, ring. All right, I said. We're not into the petty robbery game, though. We don't give a fuck what you into. What? We don't give a fuck what you into it. What? We don't give a fuck what you into. If it's about money, then we with it. Robin spoke up confidently. Ring, ring. We'll see. I replied as I stood up and rushed to pick up the phone. With them hot on my trail. I took down the details of the call and turned around to face a group. You want in? I asked. We want in. Eric reiterated impatiently. I handed her a piece of paper that had the name of our next hit on it. Murder that nigga. It needs to be done quickly and quietly, I instructed, and then walked away, leaving them to their thoughts. Anissa followed behind me, and once we were in my room alone, she closed the door. Are you crazy? She asked. They want in, so let them prove that they can handle it. If they fuck up, We'll handle them, I responded. Just relax. The next day, I received a text message from a number I didn't recognize. Watch the news. I frowned when I read the words, but went into Anissa's room and told her to turn the channel. 
This is Allison Fisher reporting for WWOR. Gun violence is once again taking a hold in the Bronx. Thaddeus Johnson was gunned down in his vehicle today on East 142nd Street. Witnesses say that two unidentified females were riding a red motorcycle when they pulled up to a traffic light next to Mr. Johnson's car and opened fire. This young woman was a passenger in Mr. Johnson's car when the shooting took place. Can you tell us what you saw? The reporter asked. The girl's voice shook as she replied, It all happened so fast. All I remember is listening to the music one second and hearing loud gunshots the next. I was ducked down in my seat. I was too afraid to look up. There was so much blood. I thought that I would die. I can't believe this happened. Anissa and I watched the newscast in shock. The girl that was being interviewed was Robin, and the guy that had been killed was the hit that I had given him. Anissa chuckled and said, she deserves an Oscar for that performance. They pulled it off, I whispered in disbelief as I sat back against the headboard on Anissa's bed. Anissa looked at me and shook her head from side to side. My cell phone rang, and an unknown number popped up. Hello? I answered. So, we're in? I instantly recognized Ari's distinctive accent. You're in, I replied with a smile. The average type of chick would have not been able to pull off what the three of them had. They were ruthless and conniving. They were just like me, and now they were on my team. Well, I mean, technically, you're on their team because y'all are outnumbered. Two to three. Just saying. Chapter 14. A year passed, and life was good. Anissa, Beatrice, Robin, Aries, and I were lying in the sun on a cruise ship just off the coast of Miami. We had planned that particular trip to celebrate our success. After Anissa and I got to know the other girls, we knew that they could be very helpful in our newfound profession. Before I even knew it, we established the Murder Mamas. At first, it was a little joke, but the name was fitting and sort of stuck. We all even got Murder Mama tattooed on ourselves to show our allegiance. It didn't take long for niggas to catch wind of us. We had expanded and took jobs from Jersey, Philly, and even D.C. The word spread quickly in the streets because our phone constantly rang for new jobs. We only took jobs by referral, meaning that you would have to know somebody who hired us before to even have a conversation with us about our services. We had a secret society, and the only thing we asked for was trust. We sometimes set up clowns that were stunting too hard and robbed them, but we only did that when we traveled out of town. Our main hustle was murder for hire. That's what paid the bills. The thing about killing is, just like everything else you do, the more you do it, the better you get. See? That's what E-40 said. I believe my heart had grown the coldest for our whole crew. That's because murder told her, don't be acting like no bitch. You gotta be like a nigga. Don't be not like a bitch. Don't be not like no bitch. That's what murder said. I believe my heart had grown the coldest for our whole crew. I never thought twice about a murder once it was done. The only thing I thought about was a payoff. Some might call it cold-blooded, but I call it just being me and more. We all sat, sipping our exotic drinks and enjoying the sun. I looked over at Beatrice, who lay out on the deck with her big Gucci shades on and smiled. Colorism incoming. Bitch, you know you don't need any more sun, I joked, referring to her dark ebony skin tone. 
We all burst into laughter, knowing that she was the darkest of the crew. Beatrice held up her middle finger without saying a word as she smiled and continued to sip her Long Island iced tea. She is what you call ghetto fabulous. She originally was from BX, and I loved her style. She always told it how it was, and had a tendency to be loud at the wrong times. But it was what it was. She was my girl. A real bitch. Um, I just want to break in real quick. There's a, I believe, a stereotype that always goes around that dark-skinned girls are the ones who are hood and ghetto and will be the ones to speak out and be the ones that will uh, tear up the club or whatever it may be. And that's some bullshit. And y'all really got to let go of that one. Robin was sneaky in my eyes, but I dealt with it because she was resourceful. Her ass was like the sibling that you loved because you had to. She was my sister, but I couldn't stand her ass sometimes. She was a little older than me, about a niece's age, and she knew every hustler in every borough. Don't ask me how, but she always knew who was coming up on the streets and who was next in line to be the man. That was useful for us when we occasionally robbed niggas. But we did have one golden rule. Never rob or take a hit on anyone we encountered before. It'll be too much of a risk for us. Aries was a sweetheart. She had a heavy Barbados accent, and it was hard to understand her at times, but I managed. She was petite, with beautiful shoulder-length twists in her hair to fit her exotic personality perfectly. She was one year younger than me, and kind of quiet. But don't let that fool you. Aries was a killer. I noticed that she didn't hesitate to kill if the money was right. She was the closest person to me, besides Anissa, because we were just alike. She was an asset to the squad for sure. So the only person who doesn't get a description is Robin, because you don't like Robin like that, I guess? We all enjoyed the sun rays and sounds of the churning waves as we relaxed and conversed. In the midst of our conversation, the phone rang. We all sat up, recognizing that particular ring. I had all the calls from murders line forwarded to a cell phone used only for our hits. I put my fingers over my lips to signal the girls to be quiet before I picked up. They all stared at me as I flipped up the phone and placed it to my ear. I remained silent and just listened. I have a job that requires your services. I want you to listen, and listen very closely. A man said with a deep Russian accent, I ain't doing no Russian accent. Y'all can go fuck yourself. I'm barely doing accents as it is. The only reason why I'm doing the Barbados and Hades accents is because they keep fucking up all the words. So instead of the, they say D. And they say me instead of I and all that kind of stuff. I have a problem that needs to be resolved. I want this done within 30 days. The contract is worth $100,000. Half will be given up front, and the rest will be paid upon completion. You can find the information on the target in locker number 1356 at the Grand Central train terminal. And you can find the key under the station's bench, eight rows down. I quickly reached into my purse and grabbed a pen and a small piece of paper to jot down the information. I just listened and wondered what type of job this was. I had never had someone come so organized, and also, we mainly only dealt with hood niggas. This was far from a hood guy that we were used to handling business with. He paused, and there was a brief moment of silence on the phone before he continued. I take it that you want the job, since you haven't hung up. 
The Russian said before he let out a small chuckle. Very well, then. The money will be placed in a bag in the locker along with the information. Good day, he said before he left me with the dial tone. I slowly closed down the phone and looked at my girls, who were all staring at me, anxiously waiting to see who had called. Well, what did he say? Anissa asked as she threw her hands up. I took my time before I spoke, almost too excited to let the words come out of my mouth. One hundred stacks, I said as I jumped up and watched my girls cheer and slap hands. This was the payday we were looking for. This was about 20000 apiece. Usually we would have to split 50000 for one hit. 20 to ourselves sounded real good. It was the last day of the cruise, and we were all eager to get back to New York to get that money. The murder mama way. We sat in our condo in Midtown Manhattan. We all moved in with each other a few months back. We didn't want to live in the hood, now that our operation was booming. Everyone sat and waited patiently for Anissa to return. She went to the station to retrieve the money and information. She told us that she wanted to go alone, just in case it was a setup by police, considering that we had never done business with this mysterious Russian guy before. She said that there was no reason for all of us to go down. Do you think it's legit? Beatrice asked as she split open a blunt and began to fill it with cush weed. That girl knew she loved her weed. She was a bigger weed head than me, and I had learned from the best. Being the murderer and I had shared at least three blunts the day before he was arrested. I don't know. I hope so, I responded as I looked down at my watch. Where is she? She should be back by now, I said, noticing that she had been gone longer than expected. Just as the negative feelings began to invade my thoughts, Anissa came through the door with a duffel bag and a big manila envelope. What took you so damn long? I asked as I stood up. I had to think about if I should take the money or not, she answered. All of us grew confused looks on our faces. What you mean? Aries asked as she put her hands on her hips. Obviously, she already had plans for her share of the money, as we all did. Look at this, Anissa said as she threw the folder on the coffee table. I picked up the folder, and when I saw the face of the man in the picture... I quickly understood what Anissa meant. Fuck, Beatrice said as she looked at the picture along with me. It was Joel, the owner of the club, Tenders, and also Robin, Aries, and Beatrice's former boss. Taking this job would be breaking our golden rule. Never hit someone we know or had ever encountered before. Me no believe this shit, Aries exclaimed as she flopped down on the couch and put her hands on her head. He used to be our boss. He knows us, Beatrice exclaimed. We can't hit anyone we know, remember? She said in total frustration. Fuck that. I'm about to go get this money, with or without y'all. Me and me and more don't know this nigga, Anissa exclaimed. I remember encountering Joel back at the club a while ago, but I remained silent. Because I wasn't ready to give up on that money just yet. Just hold up a minute. We talking about $100,000, ladies, I said, trying to weigh our options. You said it was a Russian guy on the phone, right? Beatrice asked as she squinted her eyes, letting us know that she was thinking hard about the task at hand. Yeah, I responded.
I remember one time at the club, two Russian men burst in and put a gun at Joel's head in front of the whole club. Remember that, Robin? Beatrice asked. Yeah, I remember that shit. They were yelling about him owing them some money. You know Joel got that gambling bug bad, Robin stated. That's the reason why they had his ass, I added, as things started to make more sense. I know we said we can't hit anybody that we know, but think about it. This is a lot of money. It's enough to move out of this grimy city. Miami looked real good this past weekend, ladies. Think about living near an ocean and not having to worry about karma catching up with us. If we stay in New York, we'll always have to look over our shoulders. This is our way out, I said as I grabbed the duffel bag from Anissa's shoulder and dumped the stacks of money on the coffee table. Everyone's eyes were glued to the money, and it provided a sort of adrenaline rush for everyone. We were all paper chasers, and at that moment, I knew they'd be down to kill Joel. The look in their eyes told it all. Anissa and I looked at each other and smiled, knowing that they were game. If they weren't, then Anissa and I would have done it by our damn selves. I'm sure of that. It seemed as if all the tension left the room and everyone had small smirks on their faces. We were about to put a plan in motion. Three weeks passed, and we were in the perfect position to take care of Joel. Everything was going as planned. Come to find out, Joel was sweet on Beatrice, but she never gave him any play. I told her to approach him as if she had a change of heart so we could get close to him. I told her she would have to give up the pussy, and it was all in the game. Beatrice was smart, and she always lived by money over everything, so she wasn't hard to convince. Her deep chocolate skin, slim waist, and extraordinarily large ass was eye candy to any man. So when she presented that to a sex fiend like Joel, he took the bait with no problem. Joel was a hard man to hit, I must admit. He knew there was a contract on his head, so he moved accordingly. He never went anywhere without his goons. Even when he met Beatrice at a hotel, he had two goons waiting outside for him. This hit was far more difficult than any of us imagined, but we weren't called the best for nothing. Beatrice spent every day with him for weeks, softening him up for the inevitable. She eventually convinced him to take her to Connecticut for a weekend at the famous Clearwater Hotel and Spa, without his goons. I don't know how she did it, but she got him to do it. I guess she was putting it on him in the bedroom to get him to step out of his square. Another typo. However, comma, she did it, comma, I didn't care. It should be, however, she did it, comma, I didn't care. So with that said, however, she did it, I didn't care. The only thing I knew was that we were about to be $100,000 richer. I pulled into the luxurious spa parking lot alone. I arrived there before Beatrice and Joel were scheduled to get there. I wanted to get there early and scope the scene, preparing myself for the hit. I got out and checked myself into the hotel. I carried my Gucci luggage to the front entrance and walked with a model's precision across the immaculate marble floor that made up the hotel's lobby. I wore a blonde wig and big shades, trying to avoid the chance of me being identified on camera. I checked in under an alias with the help of my fake ID and credit card. I told the other girls to stay home and let me do this one on my own. I didn't want all of them to come to the spa. It would only draw more attention to us. 
too many black motherfuckers in Connecticut was sure to raise somebody's red flag. Only Beatrice and I were going to complete this job and we'll return to them once it was over. So this is where Beatrice dies. She's going to return home sad on her own. Anissa and I argued over who would be the one to actually go with B to do the hit. She didn't want me to go without her, but we all agreed that I was the most ruthless of the crew and she had to fall back. I assured her that Beatrice and I could handle it. B was going to ride up there with Joel and I would kill him later that night while he was naked on a massage table. Make it quick. In five minutes, come in. The door will be unlocked. I looked at Beatrice's text on my cell phone and took a deep breath as I prepared myself mentally, focusing on the goal at the end of it all. Money. Beatrice and I had gone over this plan the previous night at least 50 times, and we both knew the drill. First, she was going to get him drunk and relaxed. Then, she was going to offer an erotic massage on the masseuse table, naked of course, so he wouldn't have access to his gun that he kept on him at all times. I would sneak in and hit him with two hollow points to the back of the head. In and out like a robbery, as we would say. He would never see it coming. Rock his ass to sleep. Cha-ching. I looked at the clock, and it was a couple strokes past 10 p.m. My heart no longer beat rapidly before I killed someone. Repetition had taken away all of my insecurities when it came to my murder game. I looked at murder as if it was a job, not a sin. I went about killing just as a doctor would go about performing surgery, with expertise and precision. I was meticulous about every detail and never allowed my nerves to rattle me. I carefully placed the bullets in the clip of my small twenty-five caliber pistol. I wore gloves to avoid the possibility of leaving any prints on the bullets. I had music playing in the background to get me in my mood and bobbed my head to the rhythm while loading the gun. After I was locked and loaded, I removed my gloves and put them, along with the gun, inside of my purse. I had on a black business suit, the blonde wig, and my stilettos on. My life wasn't a damn movie. You couldn't wear all black, mask, and gloves when you went to murk someone. You had to blend in, so people wouldn't look at you twice when you're leaving the scene. So I looked into the mirror and gave myself a one tour before I exited the room. I had already put my bags in the car, and Beatrice and I were planning to make a quick getaway after the dirt was done. I slowly walked out of the room and closed the door on my way to the top floor where Beatrice and Joel were. I then removed my gloves from my purse and stuffed them in my pocket as I headed towards the elevator. While on the elevator, I avoided facing the camera, turning my back to it as I pulled out my phone. First, I texted Beatrice and confirmed that I was on my way up. And then I dialed Anissa's number. I surprisingly had service on the elevator. Hello? Anissa said as she picked up the phone. Okay, I'm about to take care of it now. I love you. I said to her just as I always did before we took care of business. I love you too, she said back to me. With that, the bell rang, signaling that I had reached my floor. I hung up the phone and walked out of the elevator. I reached the room. And just as promised, the door was slightly open and ready for me to sneak in. When I stepped in, I heard smooth jazz playing and the sound of running water as I crossed the threshold of the door. 
The aroma of lavender-scented candles danced in the air as the flickering candlelights illuminated the spacious presidential suite. My girl had set it up so nice for me. Beatrice was always on point like that. The lights were low, just like I anticipated. He would never see it coming. The room was so dark that I could barely see anything. The steam from the hot tub had it all foggy inside. I stepped a couple feet in and I pulled out my gun, expecting to see Beatrice rubbing down Joel. But before I could even react, I felt a strong arm grab me from behind, and then I felt the cold still of a gun pressing my head. The lights came on, and what I saw would be sketched in my mind forever. Beatrice was tied to the chair, with blood running down her neck. She had been cut from ear to ear, and her eyes were staring aimlessly. She was dead. I then saw Joel smiling as he held a bloody knife, alongside three of his goons. The goon that had me at gunpoint quickly relieved me of my weapon and gripped me tightly from behind, placing me in a tight chokehold. Well, well, well! We've been waiting on you, Joel said as he reached into his pocket and pulled out Beatrice's cell phone and looked at it. He obviously saw the text that I had sent her the whole time. I walked straight into a trap. I was speechless. The sight of Beatrice's bloody body was devastating. I felt my knees getting weak, and my heart seemed as if it was about to beat out of my chest. The goon walked me over to the bed and forcefully pushed me down on it. Beatrice, I yelled as I crawled to her and hugged her tightly. Her lips were purple and her body was ice cold. She was long gone and somewhere in the plan we had failed and this was the end result. I couldn't believe she was dead. They watched me and laughed as I cried my eyes out in agony. Joelle had seen enough and pulled me off her. He grabbed me by my neck and stood me against the wall. I was on my tiptoes as I felt his strong hand wrap around my neck. You think you could touch me? Joel asked rhetorically. You can't kill me, bitch. You came barking up the wrong tree. I sniffed y'all out from day one. Since the day Beatrice approached me, I've been watching all of you. This game isn't for rookies, and I'm far from a rookie, sunshine, he said with passion as he squeezed my neck so hard that I was unable to breathe. I stared into his bloodshot red eyes with no fear, even though inside, I was terrified. I wouldn't give him the satisfaction of knowing that he had achieved such a feat. Oh, okay. I see you're a tough one, huh? Joel said as he unleashed his grip on me, letting me fall to the floor, panting for air. I held my neck as I tried to catch my breath, and I felt someone pick me up and toss me on the bed. I'm going to break you down. I'm going to show you not to fuck with me, Joel said with a sinister look in his eyes. Kill me and get it over with, I said as I breathed heavily and sat up on the bed. Here we go again. I'm not going to kill you, but you are going to wish you were dead when I'm done with you. Joel's goons grabbed me and pinned me down while ripping my clothes off, leaving me completely nude. I tried to stop him but they were much more powerful than I was, and I couldn't fight them off. I saw one goon pull down his pants, exposing his rock-hard tool. I saw about 12 inches of nightmare. He straddled me while the other men held me down and forcefully penetrated me, causing me to arch my back in complete anguish. No man had ever been inside of me, 
and my virginity was now being stripped from me in the worst way. I could feel my pussy being ripped open. It was so painful and so degrading, causing me to let out screams that were muffled by a hand. He went in and out of me violently. I could feel myself splitting, and the pain shot through my entire body. He was much too large for my rather small opening. I cried and yelled, but it was to no avail, as no one could hear me through the soundproof rooms, and Joel and his crew had no intention of stopping. Just as he was finished, he squirted semen all over my upper torso and face. Just when I thought the chaos was over, he switched positions with another goon, and then he began to have his way with me. Joel just sat and watched in pleasure as he got his sweet revenge. Tears continued to run down my face, but the yelling stopped as I quit fighting back. The rape lasted for an entire hour, as his four goons took turns on me, leaving me bloody and sore. It reminded me of the torture that my stepfather used to put Anissa through, and I wished that my big sister was there to save me from this pain. They violated both holes and left me in agonizing pain, curled up on the bed. Once they were finished, Joel put a gun to my head and whispered sternly, Go tell whoever sent you that they shouldn't have sent a woman to do a man's job. If I ever see you or any of them other bitches, you're going to end up just like this bitch, he said as he threw his head in the direction of Beatrice's dead body. With that, he left me in the room alone and traumatized, so let me make sure I got this straight. Instead of killing her, he sexually assaulted her and left her alive to tell the tale. This is... I, I just, I'm, I'm now certain that they just believe, the authors just believe, and I do agree that this is the worst attack that you could do to a woman. Outside of murdering them, like you could have killed her. I mean, this seems to be their go-to for women in this book is sexual assault. We had come so far, book. I weakly looked over at Beatrice and whispered, Sorry, B. I am so sorry, I said as the tears flowed. Things were never the same after Beatrice died. We all were shaken. It felt like everything was falling down around us. We didn't feel safe in the Yiddy anymore, so we all packed our shit and relocated to Miami. We all had aspirations of leaving the foul game alone. With Beatrice gone, we had a piece of us missing. Getting out of New York was mandatory. We had to worry about Joel retaliating even more, and also we had to worry about the Russians. We took their money without completing the job, so we knew that we had created another enemy, an enemy that we couldn't stand up against. That botched hit taught us that we were not invincible and that any time we could be gone. I hated that it took me being raped and Beatrice's death to teach that hard lesson. But nevertheless, it was taken in heed. We moved with precision and intelligence from that day forward. We buried our girl in the Bronx, her hometown, and never looked back. When we moved down to Miami, we tried our best to stay straight. But the allure of the game called for us. And when the money was low, we went back into business. We hooked up with a Haitian called Mati, a powerful drug trafficker in Miami, 
and the rest was history. We never had any problems except for the day we took on our biggest hit, the cartel. Wait. Okay, so... I'm... Okay, so... Having the gift of having previous books in your hands while you're reading the new book lets you go back and look at how they forgot what they said. Fabian shoved the pictures in Mecca's hands. Look, nigga, that's a news article on them. They almost got caught up in some bullshit in New York. Needless to say, someone produced some big money and made the case disappear. Who they work for, Mecca asked to confirm his suspicions. Nigga, anybody who can afford their services. I heard that this boss nigga from St. Louis paid them to do a job against some hustler he was beefing with. They fucked around and killed that same nigga two months later because someone put the cake up to have it done. Where's all of this conversation at? I guess that all happened in the time between um, when they were on the boat or when they first started when they got on the boat. I would have loved to have heard those stories. I mean, I'm not even joking. Like to skip past all this to like they skip past a lot to get to Beatrice's death and get back to the cartel. I feel cheated. Because once again, somebody died the same way the breeze got Oh no. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Leave a review on Podchaser. Leave a review for the episode as well as the show. Uh, you can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts and on uh, Stitcher. Um, Patreon.com slash single simulcast. Buymeacoffee.com slash sscast. I think that's about it. Thank y'all so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. <laughs>